the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Pete Paquette. Engineering gets us on the air, does it well. Andrew Herdliska produces this show, and I'm so happy to introduce to you Holly Girth. She's in Northwest Arkansas, co-host of the More Than Small Talk podcast, and we're going to talk about her book, Introvert by Design, a guided journal for living with new confidence in who you're created to be. Holly Welcome to Orlando. Hope you're well. Thank you. I'm sure it's much warmer there, so thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Tell me about this book. What's what's going on here? So this is a guided journal that's a follow-up to another one of my books, The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. And so that taught introverts that they are intentionally designed to be introverts with strengths and gifts that our world needs now. And this is full of practical application and next steps and journaling space for them to go deeper into who God created them to be and how they can thrive and use their gifts to serve the world. So Holly, what's uh, what's wrong with being an introvert? Nothing. (laughs) But sometimes our culture seems to think there is. I hear from a lot of introverts who say, I feel like there's something wrong with me, that I need to be more of an extrovert. And I went through that in my own life. I even pushed myself into burnout because of it until I did a deep dive into the research that shows we're actually biologically different introverts and extroverts, that God created us that way, and really discovered we have complementary strengths. Our world needs introverts and extroverts. We are better together And so that's really the purpose of this book is to say, you know what, introverts, you don't need to change who you are. You actually need to lean in more to who God made you to be because our world benefits when both introverts and extroverts are operating in their God-given strengths. Holly, you open your book with a chapter called Embrace the Gift of Solitude. Uh, Explain that. So solitude for most of human history has been one of the spiritual disciplines that we engage with other people and then we withdraw and have time for reflection and prayer and rest. And in our modern world, that often gets lost. And in the church, we're often told, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. There's even the verse that says, it's not good for man to be alone. But when you look deeper into the actual meaning of those words, it's not about physical separation. It's more about emotional and spiritual isolation. And so I'm encouraging introverts to say, it is okay if you need time to recharge. It's not okay. It's going to help you thrive and be at your best. And extroverts need it too, just maybe not in the same amount. And so it's restoring solitude to, I think, God's original intention for it which is to be part of the rhythm of our lives, where, yes, we need connection with other people, but we also all need quiet and restorative time with him and on our own, too. Then you move to this topic, enjoy meaningful relationships. Yes, and that's what I mentioned, that it's the rhythm of both, of having solitude and then connection with other people. And what I encourage introverts to do is to focus in their relationships not on quantity, how much time, how many people, but quality. 
to really focus on going deeper with people. And I did a survey of introverts and extroverts. I had about 2,000 people answer. And when I asked, what is your biggest challenge as an introvert or extrovert? The extrovert said loneliness, which shocked me and tells me that they are craving deeper connection too. So introverts naturally are drawn to that kind of connection. And so if we allow ourselves to make that a priority to say, I'm not just going to try to fill my calendar. I'm really going to try to focus on quality connections with people on a deeper level. Then I think it not only serves introverts well, but in our world serves extroverts well too. And next topic for Holly Earth, the book, Introvert by Design, take you're so quiet as a compliment. What's that mean? (laughs) Yeah, I think most introverts at some point in our lives, we have had someone tell us, you're so quiet, and it doesn't sound like a compliment. (laughs) But I believe in today's noisy world, you're so quiet actually is a compliment because introverts, when we provide quiet for people, we allow them to have safe space to be at rest with us. It means when we're quiet, we're often thoughtfully listening. When we're quiet, we are reflecting, maybe listening for the voice of God. When we're quiet, we might be doing creative work that then we bring back to the world and share with others. And so there is a lot of power in quiet, and I think that often gets overlooked. And so I just wanted to take that common You know, comment to introverts that sometimes can, again, feel like something's wrong with you. You need to change and instead say, this is a compliment. This is something that you can offer to the world. Holly, uh, tell us about accept who you truly are and why is that so difficult for some of us? I think because we all have voices in our lives, whether introvert or extrovert, saying this is who you need to be. I mean, open up your phone, scroll through social media, and in the first minute, you'll probably find at least 10 different posts from people saying this is how you need to, you know, work out, what you need to eat, how you need to pray, the kind of parent you need to be. And I think we can all tend to tune into that instead of saying, you know what, God created me in his image. That means I don't need to make myself more in the image of anyone else. Instead, my role for a lifetime is to become more of who he created me to be. But that starts with the decision to say, you know what? I can learn a lot from other people. I want to be open to feedback and to growing. But at the end of the day, I am going to learn about who God made me, and I'm going to operate in that. You know, Psalm 139 says, I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. And so understanding who we are, accepting who we are leads to praise, not to pride. And I think the more each of us do that, the more that we can use our God-given gifts to glorify him and to make a difference in the world. Holly Girth is our guest. Uh, We're talking about her book, which is just out, Introvert by Design. Uh, What does it mean when you write, find your own rhythm? That is talking about the pace of our lives. And so all of us have a different pace that we operate best at. Some of us like fast and furious, and we can sustain that. Introverts tend to want a rhythm of life that might be a little slower, but more intentional. And so that is saying, you know what? It is okay if you don't want to pack your calendar full every single day. It is okay if you want to make time for rest. It is okay if you need to say no to some things that other people might say, what, why are you not doing that? That's fun and exciting. And so it's just for each of us, again, especially introverts saying, what is not just doable in my life, but what is sustainable for a lifetime? I see so many people go into burnout because they try to sustain a pace of life that just isn't a fit for how God has wired them. And so, again, it's really just about being intentional and saying, okay, I know what God has called me to do. Now, what is the pace that I can do that at for not just a little while and not in a way that hurts me, but that I can keep up for a lifetime? Uh, Next topic for you. Remember, you're not the only one. 
Yeah, I think all of us in different ways say, I'm the only one who feels this way. You know, from introverts, when I hear that, it's often, I'm the only one who seems to feel really awkward when I try to make small talk, or I'm the only one who sometimes struggles with big group gatherings that are overwhelming, where I don't feel like I get to really connect with someone in a meaningful way. You know, extroverts might say, I'm the only one who feels like too much sometimes, or I'm the only one who seems to need a lot, you know, of activity to feel at my best. So whatever it is, I think it's just pausing and saying, you know, where am I telling myself that I'm the only one who, whatever it is, and then realizing that we as humans are a lot more alike than different. And the reality is Jesus is the only one, and he is the only one who can equip us for whatever we have going on in our lives. So that one's really about releasing shame over what we tell ourselves that pushes us into isolation and instead realizing that we are all human, we share similar struggles, and that when we say, I'm the only one, that is a lie. And the truth is that we are human and many others share the same struggles and we have the help of Jesus. He really is the only one. Uh, I want to move to this topic. See struggles as the other end of strengths. What does that mean? Yeah, so that has been one of the most transformational concepts in my life. And I worked as a counselor for several years, and it was transformational for my clients, too. So I would often have people walk in my door and say, I want to get rid of this part of who I am. And it never really seemed like God was fully on board with that. And I came to see that the core parts of who we are are on a continuum. So say a lot of introverts have a more sensitive nervous system. And on the struggle side of that, that can show up as anxiety. But on the strength side, it often shows up as empathy. We're usually highly aware of what's going on with people around us and tuned into it. And so God created us with that highly sensitive nervous system that picks up so much of what is going on around us, especially related to people. And so the key to growth is not saying, I need to get rid of that, but how is this a struggle in my life? And what's one step I can take today to move toward the strength side? And so that would be true for any characteristic in our life. That's a core part of who we are. We see this in the life of Peter. You know, Peter had a pretty short fuse that seemed to come naturally to him. And on the struggle side, that looked like losing his temper at times. On the strength side, it looked like passion and the willingness to speak boldly. And so I think it's asking, what are the core parts of who I am? How can that be a potential struggle in my life? And how can that be a strength that God wants to use? Holly Girth is my guest. <clears throat> we have another segment with Holly. <clears throat> We're talking about <clears throat> introvert by design. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Holly Girth is my guest. She's in... Northwest Arkansas, a dynamic spot on the map. I love Northwest Arkansas. And her book, Introvert by Design, a guided journal for living with new confidence in who you're created to be. Holly, the next topic for you. <clears throat> you tell us to choose quality over quantity. Explain. Uh, we touched on this a little bit in the last segment, but the idea is that when <clears throat> we're looking at relationships, we live in a world where often the focus is on quantity. How many followers do you have on social media? How many events do you have on your social calendar? How many people are in your acquaintance circle? But when I looked through Scripture, I found no mention of quantity when it came to relationships. It was all about quality, about how well are we loving the person who is right in front of us today. And that was a relief to me as an introvert because I tend to not seek out a really wide circle of people in my life, I tend to be drawn to going deep with a few. And that was a relief to know that that is equally valid, that no matter how many people we have in our lives, what Jesus calls us to 
is loving well whoever is in front of us. And so I think even for extroverts saying, you know what, I'm going to focus not just on quantity of people in my life, but the quality of those relationships and ask myself, how can I love well today? Next, <clears throat> next topic, never settle for self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, we hear a lot about self-esteem in our culture today. And I think what we really need instead is holy confidence. And the difference is self-esteem says, I can do it. Holy confidence says, God can do it through me. Self-esteem says, it's all on me. And holy confidence says, I can depend on God. And that switch is such a relief because self-esteem, while it sounds so good, in the hard moments of life, we've all had the sense of, this is too much for me. And holy confidence comes in and says, you can do all things through Christ because he's with you right here, right now. You're not on your own. And self-esteem is rooted in our humanity. Holy confidence is rooted in our God-given identity and who he has eternally created us to be. And we can trust that won't change. Our worth won't shift. We can't lose our value no matter what happens in our lives. So while I think there's some merits to the idea of self-esteem and the intention behind it, I think that we crave something deeper, and that is holy confidence that we place in our God and in who he has created us to be. Next, <clears throat> the next item, dare to show up as you are. Yeah, I think we live in a world where it's really tempting <clears throat> to show up as an <clears throat> image. You know, to post the perfect picture on Instagram, to walk into a room and try to keep it all together. And I think the invitation of Jesus is to show up as we are, to risk being vulnerable, to say, this is who I really am. This is where I am right now. That kind of vulnerability creates connection and courage. And so that's what I say to introverts who say, you know what, I feel like when I walk into a room, I have to automatically start acting like an extrovert, even if that's not who I really am. And I think we can all lay down that pressure and say, you know what, I don't need to show off. I just need to show up and trust that God will work through me as I am, where I am today. And that is enough. Know your influence matters. Uh, Explain that. Yeah, so in our world today, influence looks different than it used to. So influence used to look like a pyramid where someone at the top had influence over people on the lower layers of that pyramid. So an example is it used to be newscasters. We all got our news from a handful of people at night in the evening. Now, obviously, we can get news from many different places, some perhaps more reliable than others, but that influence has become more diffuse. And so what that means is influence, true influence, now looks like someone being at the center of a web of meaningful relationships. So think of that person in your life, perhaps a teacher a parent, someone who is really servant-hearted at your church, who has built relationships in a way where people deeply trust them. So when that person says something, people listen. And introverts are good at cultivating that kind of influence. They may say, I'm not interested in standing on a stage in front of thousands of people, but I'm very interested in quietly serving people in my life day after day after day. And over time, that adds up to a different kind of influence. And of course, extroverts can do this too. I know extroverts who are wonderful influencers in this way as well. But I think it can be a relief to introverts to know there's more than one kind of influence. There's influence that can come with a platform and a microphone. There's also influence that can come with simply loving well and faithfully Whoever is in front of you day after day and over a lifetime, that can add up to deep and meaningful influence, especially in today's culture. Holly Girth is our guest. Holly, uh, believe you can handle it. Explain that. What's that mean? 
Yeah, sometimes I think introverts, I think all of us do this, but since I'm talking to introverts in this book, tend to walk into certain situations and just feel like, this is too much. I feel overwhelmed. For example, the holidays. <laughs> We've just come through those, and every year I hear from introverts in my inbox who say, all the gatherings, all the parties, all the people, I'm not sure I can handle this. And the reality is that we can, first because of Jesus and what he does through us. But we can also be intentional and say, I can handle this because I can have a strategy for it that fits me. So that might look like, you know, saying one day a week during this really busy season of the holidays or a busy season of my life, I get to stay at home in the evening. Or if I travel, I'm going to take time the day before I leave the day before I come home, after I come home to have some rest. It's just saying, what do I need to be able to handle this well? And I think extroverts can ask the same question, say, you know what, what are the moments in my life where I start feeling overwhelmed and like it's all too much? Because we all have those. What gets me to that point and what can help me keep from getting there? And then how can I ask for God's help in the midst of it? So, again, it's just about pausing and saying, I can handle whatever comes into my life, but sometimes I'm going to need a strategy and also to intentionally pause and pray and say, okay, God, this is a lot. I need you to walk me through this. Holly, what do you mean when you say pursue the goal of a quiet life? Yeah, there's an interesting verse in the New Testament where it actually says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And every time I read that, I still feel like my Bible must have a typo, (laughs) because our world would say, make it your ambition to lead a loud life, to lead a big life, to lead a famous life. And I love that that verse exists, because it reminds us that a quiet life can be worthy of pursuit to And a quiet life, I think, is not just about on the outside. It doesn't mean that nothing is going on in our lives. I think we can cultivate quiet on the inside, even when there's a lot going on around us. So I find, especially as an introvert, that verse is just a beautiful invitation to say there's a different way to live. There's a different way to be. It is okay if you crave a quiet life. That can be honoring to God, too. Mark and I actually have this verse in our home office to remind us that, yes, there are things that we are called to pursue, but we are called to quiet too. And when we look at that, it can help us stay in balance and aligned with who we're created to be. And again, just be faithful and live in a way that's sustainable for a lifetime. Next topic for you, Holly, overcome overthinking. So research shows that introverts actually have more active minds that when they do brain scans of introverts, there's a lot going on in there all the time. And so that can lead to creative expression, to deep thinking in ways that contribute to the world. It can also lead to overthinking. And so introverts especially need strategies for how to manage their highly active minds. And so some of those are taking quiet time, like we've already talked about, practicing creative expression, writing, art, things that get your thoughts out of your head and onto a page in some way, Um, practices like meditation, where you're intentionally focusing your thoughts on maybe a scripture or truth that God wants to speak to your heart. Just saying, okay, you know, I manage my body. I need to also manage my mind and intentionally turn my thinking toward what is productive. Because we can all get stuck in cycles of worry and rumination and dwelling on things that aren't helpful. But we can also choose strategies intentionally that help us turn our thoughts toward what is life-giving, what is filled with truth, what is going to release us from things like anxiety and help us walk in more peace. And so that's really what that's about, to say, you know what? Your active mind is a powerful gift. Here are some ways that you can train it and use it well. Holly, we've got uh, 30 seconds for you to tell us about 
understand why you're not shy. <laughs> so shyness is fear. Introversion is a preference for less stimulating environments. So those two are very different, and they often get confused, especially in children. So I encourage people not to use the word shy. Instead, call out the gifts of introverts, especially introverted kids. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Holly Girth, co-host of the More Than Small Talk podcast. She's good. And uh, this wonderful book, Introvert by Design. A guided journal <clears throat> for living with new confidence in who you're created to be. We have more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Holly Girth, our guest in that first segment from Northwest Arkansas, talking about her new book, Introvert by Design. Well, we go from Northwest Arkansas to beautiful Orlando, Florida. David Swanson is our guest, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando, 20 years. It's hard to believe. Mm. And his book, Everlasting Life, How God Answers Our Questions About Grief, Loss, and the promise of heaven. David, wonderful to talk to you. How are you doing? And congrats on your book. Well, thank you so much. I'm doing well, and it's a privilege to be on with you and talk about a somewhat of a, a challenging topic. Why was it important for you to write it? Well, what I found is um, as I was in so many situations in the church where I was in either hospital rooms or in homes with family members who were either close to losing loved ones or had recently lost loved ones. And then in that same context, you had people uh, from the church and the wider community coming to care for them. I just saw so many things that were not understood, um, that were handled poorly, and not uh, because of any ill will of any person. They weren't intentionally trying to say or do the wrong thing. Uh, but it was just lack of understanding, lack of education. Uh, and then the the reality is that we just don't want to talk about uh, our eventual demise. You know, it's uh, it's one of the quotes in the book from Woody Allen. You know, it's not that I'm afraid of, of dying. It's just I don't want to be there when it happens. And um, And so people are reluctant to talk about it, and yet it is inevitable for all of us. And so why not – shine some light on this. Why not prepare ourselves and think through some of these larger questions? Because there's so much that's comforting in the scriptures to us. I think what happens in the end should impact our present, and I think it will make us much more effective at caring for people in our lives uh, who really need support and affirmation in a time of their own grief. It's going to make us more effective in ministry. And so for all those reasons, I thought it was a good idea um, to write the book. I will say that it's the kind of book that you're only going to pick up and read when you're in that moment. And um, so I wouldn't say it's had huge commercial success, uh, but I think when someone needs answers and they're looking um, for comfort and help, I, I think it has been an effective tool and resource. So I've been, I've been grateful for that. Part one of the book, The Journey Begins, Up Close and Personal with Our Last Enemy, and and then you write, David, these topics. What's going on here? Coming face to face with our old foe, and how do I handle it? Finding assurance mm-hmm. in our fears about leaving this world, and what do I say? What do I do? Ministry to others through death, grief, and loss. Uh, I want to hear all about part one. Well, I think that's kind of setting up um, the the reality and and setting the stage that this is a hard topic. Um, that it's one that we would much prefer not to talk about, um, and that um, there's there's no way around the reality. Uh, I talk about the the Corinthians passage that talks about the sting of death, um, and that word in in Greek refers specifically um, to the sting of a scorpion um, that uh, inflicts a particularly uh, painful uh, element on its victim, and that uh, death is hard. 
and there's no way around that. And I think sometimes uh, in order for us to get to the good news, um, we have to go through, and please forgive my chiming clock, um, we have to go through uh, exploring uh, some of the mysteries of life and death. And it's only in that exploration uh, that we can experience growth and deeper understanding. And so we'll, we'll go to great ends to distract ourselves. We'll get busy at work. We'll take trips. We'll engage in various hobbies in order to perpetuate the, the illusion that this is not going to happen to me. Um, but I think at some point, uh, life will break through all those facades and allow us to, to finally come to terms and come to grips with this is going to happen. So what do I think about this? What happens? What does God say about it? And, and how can I find some uh, comfort even in the midst of that reality? So that's, that's essentially the first part of the book. David Swanson is our guest. He's the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church Orlando. His book is out, Everlasting Life. David, I want to move to part two. Uh, the mm-hmm. journey continues, getting from here to there. And you write about, how do I live with loss, moving from grief toward growth? How will we find our way home? Right. Jesus right. shows us the way. And then why not go to heaven now? The significance of life in this world. Right, right. Well, it is, um, it, it's one of those things that, uh, that, we, uh, that we explore, I think, when we're, um, when we're ready uh, to get to those essential questions. And as we do that, um, I think our, our minds are open to, to deeper things. But one of, the, uh, one of the things I think it's so important um, to be able to, to ask the, the most prevalent questions that we have in the moment. And so one of the, one of the questions is, is, will I have enough faith? I think people, uh, when, they, when they come right down to it, they just wonder, you know, I, I, I want to die well. I, I don't want to be um, going to pieces in my dying. I want to be a good example for my family, and, and will I have enough faith? And, and I have always uh, uh, said that the, the encouragement we have is that uh, we realize that God is the one who gives us faith. Um, we think about John 15 when, when Jesus says, uh, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit. So our faith uh, is something that is given to us by God. We didn't wake up one morning and figure out uh, how good God is. God revealed that to us. How can a finite person know and understand the infinite God unless the infinite God chooses to be known? And so he's given us that faith. So God's never going to give to us anything that's going to be insufficient. And so I can know and have confidence that my uh, my faith is going to be enough, and and I can trust that God will uh, will supply that in uh, an ample portion uh, in those challenges. I think the other question that I get uh, so often is is the question of transportation. You know, what happens? How am I going to get there? Uh, and it's uh, again, it's it's the fear of that of that moment. What happens at the moment of my passing? And I always go back to John fourteen six, uh, which is you know right after uh, Jesus says, "In my Father's house there are many rooms." Uh, he goes on to say, "You know, if that weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Uh, but in that moment, I will come and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am." So there's not a lot in Scripture that tells us about what happens in that moment, uh, but I think there's just that beautiful line that all we need to know is that in the moment of our dying, uh, that Jesus comes to be with us, and he's our transportation. He takes us to be where he reigns in the presence of the Father so that we can also be um, where he is. And so I think that also, not only does that encourage somebody who's in the process of their own dying about what's going to happen, but I would hope it would encourage someone uh, who has the privilege, as many of your listeners uh, will have had, the privilege of ushering someone to the gates of heaven. And sometimes people think, oh my gosh, if I've never seen a person die. Um, that's going to be so unsettling. I'm not sure I want to be there. And and yet, um, when you're there at the moment of a person's passing, it is absolutely holy and sacred ground. I don't know that you are in the presence of God uh, in such an extraordinary, powerful way in any other moment in life as you are at the moment of someone's transition from this life to the next. And what you know is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is in that room 
with your loved one and has come to take them to be with him. And so you can just have this great confidence and a, and a sense of the magnitude uh, of, the, of the holiness and the sacredness of that space and the privilege that it is um, to be a part of that. And, and then I think, you know, the other question that people have is they, you know, many times they're not worried about themselves. They feel confident about where they're going. What they don't have is a sense of confidence in what's going to happen to their loved ones after they're gone. And, and I, you know, and, and I think sometimes that can, without us realizing it, that really is the, the height of arrogance for us to, uh, to think that our, our loved ones are not going to be able to get along without us and that God is somehow insufficient to take care of their needs in our absence. And that's just patently false. Um, God is sufficient in all things. And uh, Psalm 25 reminds us that God can care for generations of our family members who are yet unborn. So uh, if God can take care of those who haven't even made their appearance on the earth yet, uh, he can certainly take care of my family members and, and, uh, and provide for them in my absence. And so uh, for someone who's in that place, I think they can know the peace of God um, that comes from trusting that their family uh, is going to be in God's good hands. So those are some of the questions that I think, uh, that I think people uh, wrestle with in that phase, and I hope that'll be an encouragement to them. David, I've never been in the presence of somebody uh, going from life to death. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've never had that opportunity. Never been. It's never happened. Um, mm. Tell me a little bit more. Is it uh, overwhelming, or and and then the difference between a believer and a non-believer with death? Yeah, yeah that is Pat. That's such a good question, and I I would tell you that there there is a difference. And and I don't I don't say this to you know to cause anyone to be fearful in any way. But when someone has never wrestled with the question and they truly don't have a security about what's going to happen to them next, then they are always uh, very much insecure about has my life been good enough? Um, have I done enough um, for God to love me? Is are my are my good works going to be sufficient? And I think there's always a sense. In people who, because we all know ourselves, we all know that the the root of sin is deep and that there are not enough good things that we could possibly do in order to overcome uh, our sinful nature and earn uh, the glory and the promise of heaven. So there there is a sense of restlessness that I encounter when I've been with people who are not believers. And then the opposite uh, is true. And I'm, I'm not saying that there are, you know, if you uh, are a Christian that you're going to have this uh, ultimate uh, peaceful and, and deeply secure experience. Um, people are always going to struggle with that question, did I do enough? But I think in those moments when people like me or family members speak biblical truth uh, into their lives, uh, I find that their that they're breathing um, settles um, that their heart rate slows when I pray over them and remind them of God's forgiveness. Uh, I think, as as you you know just alluded to, it it really is a uh, an extraordinary moment, and and a uh, and and when you give someone permission, you know people we've been taught all our lives to David fight for ho- life. Yep. Hold your thought because I I want you to sure. finish this, but we got to take yep. a break. It's sure. the, it's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, folks. And <clears throat> this is AM 990 <clears throat> and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Our guest is David Swanson, senior pastor, first pres here in Orlando. We're talking about his book, Everlasting Life. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. David Swanson has uh, written the book. It's a good one, an important one, called uh, Everlasting Life. David, uh, I want you to pick up and finish that uh, piece that you were sharing before the break, sure. please. Uh, pick it right up. Yeah, I, I think there, there are, we've been taught all our lives to, to fight for life and never to give up, and never to quit, and that life is valuable. And, and all those things are true, and, and we should um, absolutely fight. And, you know, when people 
have uh, extended battles with cancer and they're going through chemotherapy and and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep getting treatment and I'm I'm not gonna quit and I'm not gonna give up and and we never want a person to lose hope we always know that God can perform a miracle God can come in and I've I have known people who have been told that you have less than 24 hours to live and uh, a dear friend of mine named Reed Henson uh, when I lived in Chattanooga Tennessee he was given 48 hours to live and he lived for 30 more years mm. um, and God did a, a miraculous healing in his life so you never give up on the hope and the possibility of what God might do but but at the same time when you have fought and you've done everything you can I, I find when I get up in someone's ear, I say, you know, it's it's okay uh, to let go. It's okay for you to move now uh, into the next life. And you know, it was C.S. Lewis who said uh, that that life uh, doesn't really begin until the end of your earthly experience, your eternal life. Um, that's that's when your true life, the life that you will know. Uh, forever in the presence of the Lord. That's that's when the uh, that that uh, uh, that chapter begins. That's when life begins. He said, "The uh, your life on this earth is just the uh, the the title and the cover page uh, of a wonderful story that goes on without end." And so I want uh, it, people to know if you're caring for a loved one and they're they're just struggling and they they continue to to fight for breath. Sometimes all you have to do it's it's amazing to me how often it happens. When I give someone permission and say it's it's okay, we've prayed for you. Your family is going to be okay. Uh, it's all right for you to just rest in the presence of the Lord. And oftentimes, you know, within minutes or the hour, um, they uh, they take their last breath, and and that's okay. So uh, that's a that's a good thing. Part three of your book, David. The journey concludes the joy of our eternal home, and you write, uh, "What is heaven like?" life in our mm. father's house and what happens in the end why mm. the new heaven and the new earth matter i i'm all ears david on part three yeah. well i i think uh we don't spend enough time uh thinking about heaven and and what we can anticipate in the next life i think that should have tremendous impact on how um, we live our daily lives you know if you took two people and you told them you know, if you spend, uh, you know, uh, if you work for 30 years tightening this widget, and at the end of 30 years, I'm going to pay you $30,000, uh, and you told us another person who was right next to him, at the end of 30 years, I'm going to pay you $30 million, you know, the person who's going to get $30 million would have a totally different attitude as they came to work every day. What what happens at the end should impact our present, and that's and that's heaven. And I think there are some uh, wonderful things that we can uh, that we can take and and allow to, to comfort us and encourage us, not the least of which is, uh, and this is a question that, that people have, is when I die, do I go to heaven right away? And, and what is heaven, and where is it located? And, and I think when heaven is described, you know, if you go to the book of Revelation, there's this very specific, uh, very specific passages that talk about lengths and widths and heights and the kinds of gemstones and the kinds of jewels and the kinds of roads. That's all God's way of saying through John that heaven is a real place. It's a spiritual place, but it's a real place that it exists and that we are going to go dwell there in it, and heaven is defined by the presence of God. And we're also told in 1 Corinthians 15 that we go immediately in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, we transition from what is mortal to immortality, from what is visible to what is invisible, from the physical um, to the spiritual. That happens immediately, and we are taken up uh, into the presence of God. So when you think about, well, what is heaven like? Well, heaven is the fullness of everything that God is. So if you think of all the, the nature and the character and the attributes of God that God is loving, that he's gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's peaceful, that he is all knowledge, that he is all power, then when you go to heaven, you're going to be in the fullness of the presence of God's peace. You're going to be in the fullness of the presence of God's love. You're going to be in the fullness of the presence of the knowledge of God. And so when I think about what heaven's like, I, I love that there's no longer 
anything that's hidden. There's nothing that's veiled. There's nothing that's unknown. And I get that question a lot. Will I know my loved ones? Absolutely you will. And you'll know everyone that you didn't know in this life. And I always go back to the Mount of of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured in glory. And and who is there with him is Moses and Elijah. And they're in glory. They're in glorified form before Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John know them without introduction. Peter instinctively knows, well, that's that's Moses, and that's Elijah, and Jesus at no time makes an introduction. So I don't know, I don't know how that works, but I know it's part of what happens in glory. Is it's part of that the, the reality that there's nothing hidden, there's nothing veiled. All things are known. And and again, people will often ask about, well, gosh, I'm going to have so many questions for God when I get there. Actually, you won't, because when you get there, you'll know. Because you're in the fullness of all knowledge. All things are, are revealed, and, and I, I can't wait to, to live in that state. And then I think people forget that not only is there heaven, but then at the end of all things, uh, it, it says that there's no longer going to be any separation. So you think about the, that, that there will be no longer any separation between heaven and earth. There will no longer be any separation from the presence of God and his presence with us. So Revelation tells us that God will make his dwelling with man, and that God hasn't given up on his original creation. And so people think about their own redemption, um, people think about their own salvation, but they forget about the fact that the world that we live in now, that it too will ultimately be redeemed. And that, that it will be, and there's a wonderful passage I share in the book from the Chronicles of Narnia when the kids are flying on Aslan's back and they come back into the, into the presence of a restored, a redeemed Narnia. And they see all the things that they had seen before, but now they've been restored. Now they're better. Now they're glorious. And so if, if you've seen the Grand Canyon uh, in this life, when you see the Grand Canyon in the next life, it will be so much better, so much more spectacular than it's ever been. And I think because uh, we've known uh, loss in this life, everything we've lost, everything that has caused us pain or grief, all that becomes part of our ultimate redemption in the new heaven, in the new earth. It's, it's so good precisely because we've known what it is to lose something. So I I sometimes, you know, talk about it in terms of our cell phone. If you lose your cell phone, you just lose your mind because it's so valuable to us. But when you get your cell phone back, you you love it more precisely because you've had the experience of what it was to lose it. And and that's the beauty of heaven is because we know the pain of loss, heaven becomes so great um, because all things have been redeemed and restored to us, and we do it in the presence of all those uh, who have been called by God into his family. And, uh, and that is ultimately going to take place in the new heaven and the new earth. So this is not a throwaway world. We care for this world, and ultimately uh, it, too, will be redeemed. And I, uh, I can't, can't wait for that day. David, do you think we're going to be able to hang out with uh, with with Daniel? Uh, do you think we're going to be able to hang out with uh, uh, Adam and Eve? Do you think we're going to see I, them? I, uh, I do. I think we're going to see all those people. And again, you know, I, I uh, there is there is so much that's a mystery. You know, you can you can speculate, but I I do think we will absolutely know them. Um, and I think we're, we're now outside of, of space and time. So we're, we're in a totally new uh, dimension where we, we simply are. And so there's no sense of, need, of, of being rushed. Um, there's no sense of impatience. Um, there's, no, there's no sense of time. So we'll get to be with whoever we want to be with. But I think all that you have to take in the understanding that the focus, that everyone who's there will be utterly – um, consumed and overwhelmed by the glory and the majesty of God, that God on his throne will occupy uh, our attention, the worship of God, uh, the joy and the beauty of God, all that is what's going to be uh, occupying us. And I think that for those people who go, well, you know, God, I think that sounds boring. All I'm going to do is sit around and, and worship. I think people who have that perspective uh, have never studied the nature and character of God. 
And uh, if you spend any time trying to know and understand who God is, the thought that you would be able to dwell eternally uh, in his presence would be nothing but uh, pure excitement uh, and would be the greatest adrenaline rush of all time. And uh, so if you think it's going to be boring, just go study who God is a little bit and read the scriptures, and I think that'll change your mind. David Swanson. David, we've got about a minute left. Uh, Final word for us? I would just say don't don't let fear stop you from asking hard questions and allowing the Word of God uh, to be a source of real hope and comfort to you in your griefs and losses, and also to spend a little time studying uh, and learning about heaven, because I think what's going to come in the end uh, will be an enormous blessing to you in the present as you encounter all the, the challenges and the circumstances that we have to endure this life. I think heaven and its reality uh, lightens that load and will help see you through. My guest has been, uh, and, and what a good one, and he's had such an impact here in Central Florida, David Swanson. Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. And I, I, I've i got to encourage you to get this book. Everlasting Life, How God Answers Our Questions About Grief, Loss, and the Promise of Heaven. You've been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour for many years. We've been doing this show right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Always look forward to it. Always look forward to some interesting guests and We're always so pleased when you decide to join us. Well, have a great week ahead. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 